Church, I've talked, <coughs> I've talked about this probably, probably a good bit since I've been here, and I've mentioned this, mentioned this previously, I know, but when, when I was younger, and uh, really, you know, even, even on into my early adulthood, um, I really, I, I thought that God, my idea, my conception of God was that he was a God that was, that was uh, pretty mean, pretty awful, and kind of, kind of out to get us, and that was kind of the, uh, that was the environment that I was raised in, and uh, I think probably some of y'all can relate, y'all probably, rate, some of y'all were no doubt raised in similar type of environments, you know, and, and I think about that sometimes still, and I say, you know, well, you know, how can I not, how could I not have thought that? How, how, how could I not have thought that about God? You know, we read uh, all these Old Testament stories, for example. We read all these lists of do's and, all, and don'ts and all these, all these laws and uh, all, these, all these, this, 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 this uh, language of blessings and curses. And we're actually going to be seeing some of that language today. Um, so you consider all that and, uh, and, and you hear sermons from, from pastors that are proclaiming, constantly proclaiming. God's judgment and, and an outpouring of wrath, you know, if we don't abide by the rules that he has set forth. You know, it almost makes God out to be some kind of petty, egotistical, egotistical maniac, almost, who's uh, just kind of dead set on getting his way, or else. Um, and that was the idea of God that I had uh, for a very long time, for a very long time. And there's a lot of stuff that you can blame on that, but that's not the God that I know today, and I think most of y'all know that. Um, and that's not what I see when I look at the Old Testament books either. And, and I think, I'm afraid that a lot of us have that view. We get, a lot, we get really scared of the Old Testament, particularly those five, those first, first, first five books in the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament that proclaim all of these laws. Um, but, you know, remember what I told you a, a long time ago, church, and if you weren't here at the time, I'll, I'll remind you. When you go to read the Old Testament, when you get, particularly when you're looking at books like we're looking at today, and, and books like Leviticus, and uh, a couple others, Keep in mind what I told some of you several months ago about interpreting Scripture and understanding the character of God when we're interpreting Scripture. Remember, first and foremost, that we interpret Scripture through the lens of the character of Jesus Christ, right? Because Jesus Christ and God have the same character, right? Because they're the same person. We believe in what we call the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three gods and three different perspectives. One, I'm sorry, one God. Ugh, don't get out of here and say that. One God and three different perspectives. But they all have the same character. You can't separate one from the other. In other words, if, if, if this one's char overall character is love, mercy, grace, this one cannot be. And I'm going to get to this all, all I'm going to break this down a little bit. But this one's generalized character cannot be the opposite of that. So when we're approaching this Old Testament scripture and these, these ideas of laws and curses and blessings and punishment and all that stuff, first and foremost, approach that stuff with the idea of the character of God, which as we all know, the foundation of God's character is what? It's love. So that's our base. That's, that's, that, that's our foundational starting point when we start trying to unpack some of this, some of this hard stuff. Some of this hard stuff that, that we don't like to look at, particularly in the, in the Old Testament. Something else that I've learned, you know, about these laws and, and, uh, and, and this Old Testament stuff is uh, God's in our corner. Just as Jesus is in our corner, you know, God is too. And, and, and what, this, what these laws do, they're all pointing us towards a good purpose. 
And, and so when I read, I, I just take a look, I take a different look at them today than I would have 15 or 20 years ago. I don't see a God, I don't see rules and laws and all this stuff coming from a, the perspective of a God who's wanting to punish me and beat me up. I see it from the perspective of a God, first, whose character is just like Jesus's. We wouldn't call Jesus violent, would we? We wouldn't call Jesus malicious. We wouldn't call Jesus vindictive or retributive or vengeful. Why would we think the same thing of God? We don't. We can't. So that's one way to approach these scriptures. And one that we're going to look at today comes out of the book of Deuteronomy. It's chapter 30, and it's verses uh, 15 through 20. Deuteronomy 13, I'm 30, I'm sorry. Starting in verse 15. And this is, uh, I'll, I'll explain this to you in a minute. Let me go through it first. <clears throat> it reads, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. That's the part we don't like. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, his decrees, his laws. Then you will live and you will increase. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, you're not obedient. If you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you'll certainly be destroyed. You'll not live long in the land. You are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children might live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the word of God for the people of God. Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you. You know, On a surface-level reading of this, we can certainly see how people, how we might even interpret this kind of to be a threat, right? It's okay to say that. Just look at, hey, look at this thing on the surface. Yeah, it seems, it seems kind of threatful. You do this, I'm going to do this. If you don't do this, I'm going to do this. So it's very, very, it's very, very easy to see that, all that stuff about blessings and curses. But take a look back at 19 and 20 and some of the language that, that's used here. Start that second sentence. Choose life so that your children may live. But you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he'll give you many years. Go ahead to the 20. Oh, that, that's it. I'm sorry. And he'll give you many years in the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham and Jacob. The scripture is not about a malevolent, malicious God. It's about a life-giving and a compassionate God who wants to see his people thrive. Look at all those words that are in there. Love the Lord. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. God is your life. The Lord is your life. I've set before you this choice of life and death. You know, Deuteronomy is one of those dreaded, dreaded books that people don't like reading from. Just like I mentioned before, the book of Leviticus. As soon as you say, open your Bible to the book of Leviticus or the book of Deuteronomy, you can see, you can see people start sliding down in their pews. It's just one of those, 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 some of those tough, tough to read books that we don't, that we don't understand it, we don't like it. The whole book, though, of Deuteronomy is primarily, that's primarily what it is. It's, it's a list of laws. And I'll, let me tell you what's going on real quick. The, uh, this, this particularly is being addressed to the people of Israel once they had reached the eastern edge of the Jordan River, and they're just about to enter into the Promised Land. Y'all remember, I think it was last week, we talked a little bit about covenants. I know we talked about uh, covenants in our Bible study group a good deal recently. 
And uh, this is kind of what this is part of. This is part of what they call the Mosaic Covenant. Remember when we talked about that? The Old Testament, everything pretty much beyond Genesis is all about these back, this back and forth relationship between God and his people. And these covenants that God makes with his people and the covenants that people break with God and makes a new covenant back and forth, that type of thing. This is part of what that is. This is, called, this is part of what they call the Mosaic Covenant. So what you get in Deuteronomy is you get all these lists of laws. Keep this list of laws and you're going to receive life. Okay? So that's where we are. And uh, Deuteronomy is also one place in the Bible. The other place is the book of Exodus where you find the laws that all of us know the best and that's called the Ten Commandments. But you find something else that really stands out to me in the book of Deuteronomy. And if you've been attending Bemis for any amount of time, you're going to recognize this right off the bat. But Deuteronomy contains in chapter 6 something that was called, something that is called the Shema. Who remembers that, Bemis? Kevin, of course, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin's a listener. The Shema was a, the Shema, I think it's, it's like 6-4 through 6-6, six, six, something like that. But basically it reads this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. I bet you guys recognize that, don't you? Yeah, because I quote that a good bit. It's also quoted by Jesus over in the New Testament. Somebody asked him, what's the greatest of all the commandments? Jesus quotes this thing out of Deuteronomy. He says, love, he says, Hear, O Israel, Love the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he goes on to quote something else, love your neighbor as yourself. But anyway, that's where this comes from. And it's a major, major part of Deuteronomy. As a matter of fact, this thing called the Shema, there's a reason I named that, that, that in the beginning, because that's the name of it. It's a prayer. It is a specific name for a very specific prayer, a very specific Jewish prayer, one that would be very, very widely known, still is very, very widely known, in Jewish circles. Christ himself would have prayed this prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord's one. Morning and night, they would repeat this prayer. And what's it all about? It's all about loving the Lord your God. It's almost as if God is trying to instill something into our minds. Hey, repeat this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we go back to our scripture today, and what we see unraveling here is all of these things that God is saying, hey, if you'll do this, this is, this is the good that it's going to bring about in your life. What's that all about? That's all about loving God, man. Certainly, if we are in love with God, we're going to want to do those things, right? We're not going to want to do the opposite. We're going to, do what, we're going to want to do what God wants. So it all comes back to loving God, first and foremost. And we see that this, is, this, this uh, scripture today is just kind of an elaboration of that, what it looks like to love God. And then the rest of it, 15, 16, 17, and 18, are all about this idea of, of blessings and curses. I'm not, I'm not going to reread those. Y'all can feel free to reread them at any time. <clears throat> but if you have trouble like I did when I was a kid or when I was in my early 20s, you got trouble with those blessings and curses, think of it as positives and negatives. Personally, I like, I like the idea of life and death. I like the contrast between life and death. And I'm not talking about heaven and hell. I'm talking about the here and now. You know, I'd like to experience life now. I've had enough of experiencing death in my, in my early life, things that brought badness in my life. I had enough of that. I like to experience things today that bring life, life to me, life to my family, life to you guys, life to the community around me. That's what I like to experience today. So there's the difference. This brings life. This brings death. The point is, is that God is pointing these people as they're about to enter into the promised land. If you all know that biblical story, 
He is pointing people to the fullest life that they possibly can have because that's what he wants for those people. That's what he wants for us. And he is pointing us today to the fullest life that we can possibly have. Yeah, we're going to have suffering, but God points us again to the fullest that we can have, possibly. He points us to the most peaceful life that we can have. He points us to the most spiritually, the most emotionally, the most mentally, and the most physically, yeah, physically, healthy life that we can experience. If we'll just follow his advice. Advice. Who doesn't want to follow God's advice? I have set before you life and death, he says. Choose. Choose which one. It's up to us, folks. This isn't. This has got nothing to do with your salvation, by the way. Like Paul, like uh, Paulette talked about this morning to the kids, salvation is salvation. You know, it's a free gift. Congratulations, you're in type thing. How much of the fullness of life that God has to offer do you want to experience while you're here? How much do you want to love your neighbor while you're here? Well, we have that choice. You know, there's two things that I've learned in in my walk with Jesus and my walk with God, in, in as it pertains to scriptures like this and and all these do's and don'ts and and, and laws and blessings and curses and all that one thing, the first thing that I've learned is God is not out to get me and all those preachers who told me that when I was a kid are absolutely dead wrong God is not out to get me God always has the best, my best interest and he's always got your best interest in mind, in mind. he doesn't give, you this, give us these laws because he's malicious, because he's petty because he's got to get his way, he gives us these laws because he cares for us because he knows what's going to happen to us if we don't align ourselves, our minds, our hearts, our words, our actions with his will. God is always on our side, folks, and I told you guys that recently. The other thing that I've learned is that this idea, and this is one thing, I'm going to tell you what, uh, it took a while for me to come back to Christianity because I was too smart. I was too smart for God for a long time. But one thing that, uh, that sold me finally on Christianity is this whole idea of sin. And this whole idea of sin finally just came to make sense to me. If I do things, if I have things in my mind, if I've got things in my heart, if, I've, if, if, I, if I say things, if I commit actions... That are against the goodness, the holiness, we'll talk about that in a second, the mercy, the will of God. Chances are it's not going to work out well for me. And I look back over my life and it just made sense. How many times did I suffer? How many times did somebody else suffer because of me? because of something I had done that was clearly out of alignment with loving God and loving my neighbor. How many times has somebody else suffered because of something I said, something that I did? How many times have I suffered because of something that I said, something that I did that was clearly out of alignment with God's perfect will of loving him and loving my neighbor as myself? And that finally just made sense to me. 
this, this, thing that we, this thing that we call sin in the church, it finally made sense. So that's the second thing, you know, is that God's not out to get me, and sin is very real. Sin's very real, sin's very tangible, and there's, there's, there's very much, if you want to call them consequences, that are going to happen when, when, when we sin. And that just finally, again, that just finally made sense to me. To love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, to live in obedience to him, that's, that's the way of life. And that's what he's talking about in these scriptures. Everything else, every other path leads to death. And again, I'm not even talking about heaven and hell right now. I'm talking in the, in the here and the now. We can live in that. We can live in life. We can live in the way of death. It's our choice. Let me take you back to August. And I'm going to wrap up here in a second. Let me take you back to August um, last year, 2022. We were going through our Good and Beautiful God series. Uh, if y'all are attending here at the time, y'all will remember that. But basically the idea of that series was we were, we were unraveling and, and figuring out what it kind of looks like um, to understand the overall character of God. Okay? Um, and I talked about that in the, in, the, in the beginning of the sermon a little bit. But we unpack the idea of what is God's ultimate character because, because if we understand God's ultimate character, foundational character, it changes a whole lot. And, it, and it, it's, it's going to change the way that we, that, we, uh, that we relate to God, that we relate to other people. And, and it's going it's to alter uh, our entire spiritual walk. So it was understanding the character of God, but at the same time what we were having to do was we were unraveling uh, a lot of false things that we had been taught a lot of what we call false narratives or false stories that we had been taught over the years because sometimes you have to do that. You have to, you have to unravel these things that I've been made to believe, whether I came up with a belief myself or whether somebody else told me this bad belief. Uh, we have to be able to undo those things and we have to replace them with actually what God says about himself and Jesus says about himself in the book that we have called the Bible. So anyway, in that last, um, in that last, that last sermon of that series... I talked to you guys about two false narratives about God that most people tend to embrace. Um, and I'm sure y'all don't remember those. I had to go back and look, look them up myself. <clears throat> but there's two false, very false narratives about God that people tend to embrace, and then they are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. The first one is kind of what I hinted at in the beginning, and that's the idea that, that or, the, or the belief that anger, wrath, judgment, condemnation, that all of those things are the primary characteristics of God. Okay, it's the belief that God is mad all the time and that God basically can't just wait to drop that divine hammer on us whenever he gets the opportunity. So that's, that, that, that's one idea, one false narrative about God that people believe a lot of times. On the other hand, the other, the other end of that spectrum is this narrative that people embrace that either minimizes or completely does away with God's holiness in God's righteousness. That's more of what we call a teddy bear God. He doesn't really care about sin at all. He never exercises what we call judgment or what we call uh, correction. That God is completely benevolent. Human sin never comes into the picture. In short, this God is void of any sense of holiness whatsoever. Neither one of those is right. Neither one of those is correct. Over in the book of John, one of the first things that the author of the Gospel of John says about Jesus and about the overall character of God is that Jesus came full of grace and truth. 
He is the fullness of both of these things. In other words, you take that end of the spectrum, you take that end of the spectrum, and God is absolutely full of both of these. He is full of love. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. At the same time, he is full of truth, and he is full of holiness, and he is full of righteousness. Just as God loves us unconditionally, just as God forgives us and he exercises his mercy on us time and time and time and time again, God is also holy, and God calls us to reflect his image. Be holy as I am holy. You'll read in Scripture several times. So as we see in the Scripture today, as we see in other Scriptures throughout the Bible, as we can, we, we can see this play out in our daily lives, sin has consequences. Jesus tells that in multiple areas of the Gospels, that, that consequences for sin are, is, is, is part of the equation. It's that part about Jesus that we don't really like to talk about a whole lot, but it's definitely there. A holy God cannot endorse sin, although he certainly does continue to love us unconditionally despite that. And I know people have a hard time dealing with that and rolling that around in our heads. But, and this is a big, a big one, what we all need to understand, God is against our sin because he is for us. And I alluded to that earlier. God is against our sin because he is for us. Just like the sign that's hung up outside the church says, God is for us. So much so that he wants us, he longs for us to resemble him, to resemble Jesus, to be internally pure. And he's going to work tirelessly to get us there. Sometimes that's going to mean correction. Correction's painful. Correction stinks. But sometimes that's what we have to go through. Sometimes it means facing the consequences of things that we think, things that we say, things that we do that are outside the holiness of God. God knows that sin separates us from Him. He knows that sin hurts our relationships with Him. He knows that sin hurts our relationships with other people. And He knows that sin hurts us. He wants us to have that abundant life that Jesus talks about over in the Gospels. And he knows that sin stands in the way of that. And let's face it, church, do we really want a God who isn't like this? Do we really want a God who's not holy, who doesn't want us to reflect his holiness? Do we really want a teddy bear God? Do we really want a God that's indifferent or just flat out doesn't care? Do we really want a God that wants us to... Uh, remain stuck in our various addictions? Do we really want a God who doesn't care about our violence or the violence of the person sitting next to me? Do we really want a God who doesn't care about my bitterness, my anger, my resentment, my pride, and nor does he care about the pride, resentment, anger, vengefulness of the person sitting next to me? I don't. I don't want that kind of God. I like the holiness idea of God. I like the idea that God convicts me from time to time when I'm wrong. I like the idea that God corrects me from time to time when I'm wrong. I like the idea that God is this perfect, I don't even want to call it balance. I love that word fullness. That God is this perfect fullness of grace and truth. This perfect fullness of love and mercy and holiness and righteousness. 
So that's what these words are all about. Remember God's character when you look at these, when you look at Leviticus, Deuteronomy, word scriptures like we look at today. Start with the overall essence of who God is, of who Jesus is, what the, what God's character is. And you're going to see, you're going to view this a lot differently than you viewed it when we read it the first time. You're not going to see a malicious God in there who's out to get you. You're not going to see somebody, a malicious God in those verses who's out to beat you up, who's out to, just to get his way. You're going to see a loving God. You're going to see a caring God. You're going to see a benevolent God who is compassionately directing us towards literally what he says here, life. Choose. Choose life that I want to give to you. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. We thank you, God, for, uh, uh, for, the, for, the, for the love, the mercy, the grace, and also the truthfulness and the righteousness and the holiness of who you are. God, we, just, uh, we have so, so very much to be thankful for, Lord. We just ask that you would deepen our hearts with even more gratitude, even more thankfulness. God, we ask that you would open up our hearts to our neighbors, uh, any of those in this world who may be struggling, that we might be able to reach out and show the love and the mercy and the grace of Christ, that we might be your hands and your feet to this world. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.